Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, let's, let's go with podcasting from home because it sounds jovial and it's silly because that's what we always do. Welcome to Rex Factor. This time, podcasting from home. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And uh, welcome to Rex Factor, where we are usually reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip, but uh, today we're not doing that. Uh, no, we're not. In fact, what are we doing? Well, we are doing um, a bit of a trial run, really, which we hope will be successful enough to actually release. Because of uh, certain global events that are going on at the moment, we're not able to actually meet up and record anymore mm. and it mm. may well be the case that uh, for quite a few months this year we're not going to be able to do that so we are attempting to switch rex factor to be recorded via skype yes and thanks to the lovely uh privy councillors we have enough money to go and get a second recording device indeed which means that you'll not thanks to these wonderful supporters you'll not be without rex factor whatever happens yeah that is if we can work this because Graham just had quite a torturous couple of minutes trying to set this up for me. Um, I'm going <laughs> to make you bigger, Graham, because you're on my Skype mm. uh, and I don't like looking at a little you. <laughs> there he is. Oh, Big Graham. Skype would like to record this computer screen. Start sharing? Is that what I mean? No, that doesn't. Oh, there you are. You're big. Okay. There we go. Oh, you're, you're showing um, me your screen. You're, you're showing me your background screen rather than you. Oh God! How did I do that? <laughs> Just as uh, didn't even know that was an option. What have you done? I've literally no idea. Um, Is there a way that I can see you rather than? Uh, I know I don't know how to get rid of all this. I'm now in settings, and it's telling me to sign out or close my account. <laughs> okay, people, this might <laughs> this might might not. Okay, you're less big now. That's good. Okay. okay. That, so down, um, so where there's the hang up icon, yeah. To the right, there's a sort yeah. of chat. Thing, oh, screeny. And then the next one is share screen. Uh, Preston is taking me. How about that? <laughs> and Ali has uh, has hung up. <laughs> so I'm just gonna see if I can call him back. He might actually. If Ali is not online. <laughs> okay. 
Ah. Okay, here's Ali. He's back. Hello. <laughs> you, uh, is it all normal? I can see you. I can hear you. Can I just leave it at that and I'm not going to touch anything else? <laughs> I think that's probably good. Because um, <laughs> it just closed on me. And the trouble <laughs> was, I carried on talking to you. <laughs> I was at so saying, oh Graham, it's closed. Because <laughs> I thought you were garage man. <laughs> oh right, okay. Oh. I um I hope you keep this in. I will. So uh depending on how I edit this, uh just to explain that Ali found out that you can share screen on Skype and uh, in attempting to fix it, shut Skype down completely. Well I, I only do that because the other option was to close my account. Um, which I didn't do. Yeah. It's, it's asking me to share my screen again. Say no this time. No, I'll say no. I'm just going to leave... I, I've got pop-ups everywhere. I'm just going to leave it because your face is there and that's all right. That's all you need. Hmm. Anyway, so for what we're going to do, we wanted to test out whether this uh, actually <laughs> rather than going straight to Matilda of Scotland. I think it's probably good that we've uh, <laughs> got to iron out some of the, some of the flaws. Hmm. We were also struggling with headphones earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're 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 cooking on gas though right now. You know, this is full steam ahead. This is actually happening. So, what we're going to do is just to sort of explain. Uh, well, I suppose we are doing, aren't we? We're explaining what we're doing at the moment. We're going to be doing it via Skype. So, hopefully, that should mean uh, that although we're uh, in a lockdown in the UK at the moment and we can't go and see each other, we're still going to be able to keep on podcasting. Yeah, going to keep on rolling, baby. And I've got this in my notes. I said that the danger of this is that listeners will recall occasions when Ali has been in the proximity of recording equipment that things sometimes go wrong. Yeah, what was it I did? It, uh, was, it was when we were doing the... Um, I think when we were having to do a re-record because something had gone wrong that wasn't your fault, but it was for the interview thing with Dr. Emma Southern and we were re-recording yeah. some of our audio and we got started and then you stretched out your legs, kicked out the power lead and... Uh, yeah, and yeah, underneath. Yeah, God. Uh, well, look, you can see my hands. <laughs> They're together. So what are we doing then? What we're going to do is, essentially, we're going to read out quite a lot of messages because we've had lots and lots of messages from people. And because all of our main episodes so far have been pretty packed recently, it's been quite hard actually fitting in people's messages. So we're going to read out people's messages um, in relation to all three of the series that we've been doing so far. And we're also going to do a couple of clips from our Privy Chamber podcast and our spe- most recent special episode on Chateau Guyard, just to give oh, nice. people a bit of little extra something to listen to and also a sense of what else you can get if you want to find out more about us. If you're stuck in lockdown, this is a little Brucey bonus from us to you. Exactly. But hopefully this will get to the end it will have recorded in both places and next time we'll be able to do matilda of scotland and back to the norman consorts yeah something else that i um, was thinking about today is the irony that you've just got um your new armchair to record here. oh don't and it's honestly be months till you get to sit in the armchair. <laughs> you sound so happy with that sitting in your nice cozy chair there <laughs> I, this seat i'm sitting on is murder hey. I'm, I'm back to it honestly <laughs> Oh, Correspondence Corner. Um, so, as I said, we're always welcoming messages from our listeners, and it doesn't matter if they're about the most recent episode that we've done or if it's something we recorded 10 years ago, because obviously people discover us at different times, so it's always fun to hear about how Edgar the Peaceable was robbed. Already had that once today. 
uh, and it doesn't make any difference to me because I don't listen. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rex Factor Pod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page, where you get to see Ali doing some Facebook lives whenever we record, which in this particular instance just descended into me trying to explain to Ali how to... That was chaos. <laughs> I did one earlier. Did you see? I did one earlier. No, but Joe, Joe said that you, it was just a slightly sad video of you alone in your shed. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I thought, oh, this will be fun. And started it and went, hello. <laughs> I just wanted company, I think. <laughs> Andy. Oh, God almighty. There's an enormous spider in the corner of the shed. Hang on, hang on. Can't. Oh, it's making me feel sick. Can't. Hang on. Ali is now dealing with the spider. That won't be a problem anymore. Oh, ominously evil statement. <laughs> no, no, I don't kill him. <laughs> Just wanted to sound like a gangster. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can also email rexfactorpodcast.hotmail.com and go to rexfactor.wordpress.com to read the blogs and complete the polls on who you think does or does not deserve the Rex Factor. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, we've got lots of messages uh, from our listeners, so I've structured this around each series. Series 1, English Monarchs. So this is a message from W.J. Hayes about John Thunston. Who's he? Well, I was chatting with someone about fictional heroes, and he told me one called John Thunston. Hmm. Doing a little digging on him, I discovered thus. Thunston has a sword cane with a silver blade said to have been forged by Saint... Oh, here we go. Dunstan. Truly, yeah. everyone loves Dunstan. That wasn't the end of the quote. That was the end of his quote, <laughs> rather than the uh, description. Oh, of the I story. see. Few, 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 few. Um, uh, I love that. I love the idea of a sword stick, mm. and you've ruined it for me. <laughs> so I looked Thanks. it up on Wikipedia for a bit more info on it. And it says that John Thunston is a fictional character and the hero of a series of stories by author Manly Wade Wellman. Thunston is a scholar and playboy who investigates mysterious supernatural events. He is physically large and strong, intelligent, handsome and wealthy. He is also well-read in occult matters and has access to several weapons that are especially potent against vampires, werewolves and other supernatural creatures. Thunston has a sword cane with a silver blade said to be forged by St. Dunstan patron saint of silversmiths and a noted opponent of the devil what is his weakness then they've uh, got to have a weakness like a kryptonite right yeah i i, di- I didn't discover that i've not read the i'd like i mean he sounds like a comics he sounds awful imagine <laughs> uh he's got to be um you know he's strong tall intelligent clever good looking dashing has a sword cane and i'd love it if absolutely ghastly man was the last uh, description (laughs) and (laughs) had no uh, charm whatsoever Uh, now perhaps predictably we've had a few messages about Edgar the Peaceable oh yeah Dominic Dice I'm about 10 years late to the party but just like to say loving the podcast hey but listen to Edgar the Peaceable episode he was absolutely robbed and if you pull this like that again I'm unsubscribing 
Well, I think maybe G-Man did. Maybe you do an Edgar. Who is it you not might have done an Edgar with? Well, we'll we'll come to some comments about our mm. most recent episode. Who who is that? <laughs> Matilda of Flanders. Yeah. So have we done her preview chamber yet? Yes, we have. Okay, good. Paul Clayton Thorpe. I'm afraid I'm another to talk about Edgar the Peaceable. When I first listened through, I thought it was ludicrous he didn't get the Rex Factor. But being on my second listen through, I have to agree with Ali. Oh, hello. He's a mighty king and certainly powerful, but he isn't special. He makes one of England's strongest periods seem mundane. Definitely not someone who deserved to win. I mean, it's so, I love it when people defend me because they put into <laughs> words what I can't. But that's I, I do think that's right, that he... I just, meh, could have been amazing, but meh. And finally on this subject, uh, well, finally for today, obviously, uh, Adriana Lippi. I'm probably the only person emailing you to have no strong feelings about Edgar the Peaceable because I listened to all of the Saxon episodes with a 102 degree fever or 38.9 Celsius and frankly don't remember a thing. Probably for the best. (laughs) Uh, Moving on in time now to George III. Mm. Or specifically actually Lord Nelson. So it's George III's episode though. This is a message from John Ravel who pointed out a rather glaring error in something that I said. A Rex fact, perhaps, it would have been, but is not a Rex fact. A Rex what? false, if you will. Whilst listening again to episode 50, George III biography, I heard something which I think must be wrong. You mentioned that George's wife, Charlotte, was escorted back to England by Nelson. I don't think that can be right. Firstly, the Wikipedia article on Charlotte says that it was Earl Harcourt who accompanied her. Secondly, and I think this is the real clincher, Nelson would have been just short of his third birthday in 1751 <laughs> when Charlotte came to England uh, to marry George. Something young, though. Hmm, I remember being very impressed when I heard that she was escorted by the great Lord Nelson, but hearing it again made me wonder how old Nelson was back in 1761, and it didn't seem right. So sorry to be contacting you to point out something like this, but it did give me a chance to thank you both for all the pleasure your podcast has given me. Also, it did make me laugh to think of the three-year-old Nelson toddling about on a ship escorting the future Queen back to marry King George. Yeah, well, fake news, Graham. Yeah, I I generally have no idea how I came up with that. Or did I? Did I suggest it? No, I'm I'm pretty sure it was me, and it would have been a, this is a cool fact. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't it be? Uh, It would have been a very cool fact. I mean... You know, as as he said, it's not impossible. Nelson was three, so it's not entirely impossible <laughs> that he was there yeah. in some capacity. Yeah. Perhaps not as the official escort, but no doubt playing his the, part in some way. Yeah, it would be require a certain amount of premonition from those involved to get him involved at three. <laughs> yeah. get, you know that toddler from Norfolk that everyone's talking about? Get, get him aboard. <laughs> well, we'll see. We're doing a special episode on Lord Nelson a, a while down the line, so... Oh, yeah. uh, Nice. When we get to it, we'll see whether or not I can get a George III Queen Charlotte story in there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm playing with um, uh, Blue Tack in, uh, in the corner here. Okay. <laughs> Series 2, Scottish Monarchs. Series 2, Scottish Monarchs. Ah, oh, now I've just realised that this is actually slightly ridiculous. Oh, no, this will work. This will work perfectly, actually. So, this is uh, was a tweet from uh, Hannah Bear, or at HMS Fonsils. She says, please can you answer this scientifically, understanding that Ali's favourite may have been said baddie, of course. Now, I'm just going to see if I can copy that. Yes. I'm going to send you a link in WhatsApp. 
So it's if you had to make an epic Battle of Helm's Deep style last stand, oh. which Scottish castle would you choose? I haven't got the WhatsApp yet. Oh, I've sent it to the wrong group. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got four castles. Uh, first one, Dunatar Castle in the top. Oh mode, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is sort of very dramatic location. So you see, it's sort of got this little, almost like a little causeway going down, and it goes right up. Yeah, it's like, um, like, uh, what's the one in Cornwall? You know, uh, uh, Merlin's Gaff. Tintagel, thank you, yeah. Uh, Donatar, also where I believe Constantine II hid out when Athelstan invaded. Oh, really? Mm. Then we've got uh, Kissimmee. Which is the sort of one looks a little bit like Bodium in England, so it's a sort of picture perfect little one surrounded by moat. Then, oh no, that was uh, that's yeah, that's the sea one. Yeah, yeah, Kissimmee seems to be just in the sea (laughs) or in a lock. Yeah, and then finally number four, Stirling Castle, which is right up on top of a cliff. And what what am I defending against? Oh, it says up here, Helm's Deep Star last stand. Well, absolutely so, the sea one. Mm. I suppose the only problem with that one is that uh, if the tide goes out, I'm presuming it's or only accessible by boat. Yeah, only accessible by boat. And even if it did, there's going to be a lot of mud there. That's not going to be easy. <laughs> Indeed, that's true. Okay, there's your answer. It's quite a while after that question was asked, but nevertheless. No, that's. I mean, one hundred percent. That's what I'd choose. Fish, fine. The only thing you're looking at is uh, carbohydrates. So get enough grain in, sorted. Mm. It's an interesting Water? way, a p- place to put a cart. Like, if you, you that's sort of where you go for isolation, isn't it? For social distancing, that's not really. It's not practical for keeping a check on the locals. Yeah, yeah, true. That I mean, unless it's is it maybe Napoleonic? No, it's not. That's way older than that. I thought it might be a. F- mm. Yeah, gosh, that's interesting. Yeah, because normally there'd be sort of protecting harbors or something from a Napoleonic attack. But um, yeah, that's full-on pandemic zombie apocalypse yeah. stuff. Uh, there is an interesting little lack of windows as well. Maybe it's a prison. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, water be a problem. But the, I mean, this is sort of stuff me and my brother have been talking about forever. You know, if it's always if the bomb dropped or the apocalypse, mm. but uh, you know, zombie apocalypse. But you know, virus, same thing. Anyway, there's your answer. Get out to sea mm. in a castle. Uh, now we've had an update uh, on a previous message from uh, Kayla, who sent us a photo of her dog or her puppy that they called Ieth. Oh yeah. And uh, asked her about the name, and she said, I did make an argument for naming her Dunstan. Of course. But the aforementioned other half made the valid argument that no one wants a fun sponge for a dog. Yeah, quite right. Imagine that mopey creature. <laughs> hmm? uh, so then I asked whether it caused them any problems. She said, yes, the vet calls her Ied or Aid, and occasionally Ed. There have been great many conversations with confused acquaintances that go along the lines of Ieth. Yes, it's Gaelic. It's the name of an early king of Scots. Oh, did he do something really cool? (laughs) (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) Then the conversation usually ends with me recommending your podcast. So hopefully you have a growing Yukon audience. Excellent. She's a mixed breed dog, half standard poodle and half Newfoundland. So she is much, much larger now than in the photos that I sent. Oh, that's lovely. 
Uh, Francesca Britton got in touch about James the Sixth, so Sixth of Scotland, First of England. Just oh, yeah, wanted yeah. to pop along an email now I finished series two whilst working on my masters. I do disagree with giving James the Sixth and First the Rex Factor, though the scandalness I have to agree on. <laughs> James only went back once after becoming the King of England, and I can't forgive that. It's like getting a new toy when you're a kid, when a newer and shinier one comes along, you've forgotten about the old one. Yeah. And with the turbulentness of the past few Jameses and Mary, the relatively quiet reign of James isn't anything too special. It's in fact what normality is. The Scots just haven't experienced it in a long time. <laughs> it's, um... It's a tricky one here, isn't it? Because mm. it's the sort of start of a dynasty. There's always a temptation to... Well, they've got an easier ride right from the start. Well, because he got it, because he got it as James VI, he didn't get it as James I, which was the interesting thing. So he got it as a Scottish monarch, but not as an English one. Oh, that is interesting. Mm. Why is that? Well, I think because of that sort of really long time he was King of Scots before becoming King of England, and the fact that actually all of that chaos that he'd experienced before was actually the normal for Scotland. So even though it wasn't that exciting, being able to bring a certain amount of order to proceedings was actually quite impressive. But isn't it impressive... I mean, we're rehashing it here, but <laughs> isn't it impressive that to come in as a King of Scotland and take over as King of England as well? Actually, do, We talked about this at the time, actually doing it. Yeah, we were quite complimentary of him. He was one of those ones in the English series where we sort of thought, pretty good king, but didn't have that extra something. Whereas I think when you view it from the Scottish perspective and you think he's the King of Scots, brought order to all of the chaos that had been before, and then he became King of England. Mm, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is more impressive from a Scottish point of view. But yeah. Interesting point. Uh, and then Bryn Fraker got in touch about John Knox, who was the... Oh, God, he's the, he was the fun sponge 700 years later well indeed so Bryn says hello boys I just discovered your podcast a couple of months ago and have been binging ever since I'm just getting to the playoffs for the Scottish Monarchs Graham mentioned John Knox while recapping Mary Queen of Scots and Ali gave a big exasperated sigh at <laughs> how annoying John Knox was it made me wonder who does Ali find more insufferable John Knox or Dunstan who do you uh, think would win in a fight the indestructible Dunstan or fire and brimstone John Knox um, depends who's writing the history, I reckon. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, Dunstan would scuttle off abroad, somehow f creep his way back, <laughs> write a book that put only his side of the story up, and John Knox would get burnt at the stake. Um, and blame it all on a woman. <laughs> exactly, and spitting feathers to everyone who'd listen. Uh, I'd, I mean, I'd... I'd be really, really happy to watch that fight. <laughs> and I honestly wouldn't care about the outcome. <laughs> and then she well, finishes, also, there was only room for one Rex Factor winner in that boat, and I'm glad it was Kenneth II. Which boat? The boat where all of the kings were rowing Edgar the Peaceable. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Kenneth II was... Uh, the Scottish king who controversially did get the Rex Factor despite the fact that he was rowing the man that didn't get the Rex Factor. Yeah. He was the mass murderer then? Uh, no, that was Malcolm II. Kenneth II was the one who was killed by the elaborate statue. Oh, classic. Yep. <laughs> yep. Series 3, English Consorts. 
So we've had uh, quite a few Christopher messages about some of our says, more, I've listened to Sigrid the uh, Horsey, and I am appalled you didn't give the rest factors as someone who burns to an annoying mm. ex-suitor who wouldn't leave her alone. That's forget a good her, point. Forget Edgar the Peace of Balls, Sigrid was robbed. Similarly, where are they now at all the royals on Twitter? For a consort that may or may not exist, may or may not have been married to Sven Forkbeard, and may or may not have been mother to Canute, I think Sigrid the Haughty deserved the Rex Factor. You sure, certainly wouldn't want to annoy her. Hashtag hall burning. <laughs> Emily Jorgensen McMahon just says, hashtag remember scrotal toasty. <laughs> so that was a filthy laugh, wasn't it? <laughs> that was great. I'm digging the ding on there. <laughs> Ashley Sutton says, excellent episode. What an interesting woman. Even though my five-year-old misheard and kept calling her Sigrid the Horsey. <laughs> oh, that's cute. And Amanda Hendrickson. While I am in no way advocating for mass murder as a general rule, I feel that she might have had a very good reason for it. As history frequently shows us, a widowed woman in control of her own fortune and property must be in want of a man to control it for her, despite all evidence to the contrary. Sigrid turned down her foster brother, who then showed back up with a large retinue at the same time as another minor king with a large retinue was already in her home. I posit that these two minor kings were probably planning that one or the other would marry her by force, having the combined might of their retinues to press the issue. She might have had to get rid of all of them to maintain her freedom. If, of course, she existed at all. Well, someone someone existed, didn't we? It was just yeah. whether it was one of two people. Yeah, you're not going to have those rumours spreading about Mother Teresa, would you? So she's going to be a rock. Oh, so the burning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no smoke without some rushes and human flesh. <laughs> uh, Zoe Trepo got in touch about Emma of Normandy, or rather Emma of Normandy's sister, Howise. Uh, Huis, she says, was in one respect more successful than Emma, because whereas Emma's descendants dwindled after two generations, Huis's proliferated and included Dukes of Brittany, Kings of France, and ultimately much of the population of Europe. Hmm. Uh, Tarragon Herb on Elf Giver of Northampton. Mm-hmm. This was the one that you described as the other Emma, so Canute's first wife that he didn't bother to divorce when he married Emma of Normandy. Oh, yeah. Graham, I think this was your Edgar the Peaceable moment. Oh. I know Ali wanted to give it to Elfgiver. As a Privy Council of long-standing, this girl was robbed. Her combat may have been via persuasion and bribes, but she bettered Emma in the Oxford debate, and she was a female who rose to rule Norway, for goodness sake. Never mind she failed. She was a woman running a Viking nation. Come on. You fell for the Emma propaganda. Elf Giver rocks, and I know Ali was there, ready to give her the accolade. His boxing analogy said it all. I was. this. I'm glad. See, the momentum has started, Graham. The movement <laughs> is upon us. She was robbed. Absolutely she was robbed. I mean, this, this was the one where you did also actually end up saying no as a result of your boxing analogy. Oh, did I? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'll go with my my five minutes before I started the analogy <laughs> self. The one that really put the cat amongst the pigeons was our most recent episode on Matilda of Flanders. So oh. this, you were struggling with exactly who she was during her episode and during the Privy Chamber, which some might argue is an argument in favour of her not getting the Rex Because <laughs> <laughs> you uh, kept thinking she was Emma of Normandy. So we didn't give it to her? Well, you said yes and I said no. Oh, another split? This was actually a split. The f- as was the one before? No, the one before, you were thinking about saying yes, but then you did the boxing analogy about George Foreman 
and at Muhammad Ali. Ali and decided that Muhammad Ali is the one that gets the Rex Factor, so you said no. Oh man, I wish I had said yes, and I, I would have been. I think that would have been a better reflection, having a split on her as well. Mm. But you didn't. No. no. However, for Matilda of Flanders, you did say yes, and mm. that was an interesting one because she's got currently the third highest score thus far. She got a very high score, scored pretty well in every factor, but mm. I didn't feel she'd actually quite got that certain something. I thought she was just sort of doing pretty well in each category, but not actually jumping off the page, having that extra certain something about her. And you do her a massive disservice, do you know? <laughs> Well, so we have had some feedback on this. Firstly, Stephanie Wiseman. Unfortunately, I don't think this is Graham's Edgar the Peaceable. Oh. If you're following the precedent you set with Henry VII of a really good, competent, kind of boring monarch not getting the Rex Factor, she really couldn't. They both came in at a chaotic time and helped to steady the ship, which, if you were living through, would be exactly what you wanted, but that doesn't make for a very exciting story. She would probably be high on the list of actual best queens, but that isn't the same as star quality. No, that's true. But quite a few other people have taken a somewhat different view. Good. Keep them coming. Well done, people. Sad Girl Study Guides. I think Matilda should have gotten the Rex Factor. Creating the standard that everyone else is judged by is a good thing. Dr. Marianne Rett. Hello from hashtag COVID-19 world. I was grateful to have a new post to listen to, but Graham, this was absolutely your Edgar moment. I think Matilda aced it and should have gotten the Rex Factor. Yeah, well, okay, the, I didn't expect, I thought the movement would be for the other one, but well, great. <laughs> Even though you said no to that one too. <laughs> oh, is this the one that before I was trying to get a movement for? Um, this I, is I the one that want you to... wanted to get a movement for because you said yes and I said no. I'm keen that I don't get into the habit of calling female consorts ones. <laughs> uh, but I am aware that I do it for kings as well. So, you, you know, that's all right. I think if you're going to get a big move from behind Matilda Flanders, the very least you need to do is remember who she was. <laughs> yeah, you'll always have that. That's true. You did actually I'm... say at the time that you didn't think you'd be able to remember much about her. Really? And so it's proved. Yeah. Krista Ball, I am so mad at Graham right now that I might have to send a strongly worded letter. Hashtag justice for Matilda. Well, send it. I want to read it. Greg Popst sent an email about Graham's terrible decision. Just listen to the Matilda of Flanders episode. Well done as always. Except, of course, for Graham's disastrous, incomprehensible <laughs> decision to deny her the Rex Factor. This is not equivalent to Ali's Edgar the Peaceable decision. It's far, far worse. Thank you. This is like denying Elizabeth I or Edward III the Rex Factor. Queen Matilda, the first crowned Queen of England and regent of both Normandy and England in the absence of her husband, should have been a shoe-in. To compare her to Henry VII is unfair. If nothing else, the image of Matilda sailing into port aboard the giant warship she secretly built for William the Conqueror's invasion should have guaranteed her the Rex Factor crown. I mean, that's true. That was, that was pretty awesome, right? She did have an, a Rex Factor moment. That is true. And what a Rex Factor moment. The equivalent today is think of just casually knocking up an aircraft carrier and, co and sailing into Portsmouth on the on the bow. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> with a fleet of F-35s behind you. Yeah. And finally, Angelica Burton. I still think Edgar was robbed. Oh. 
But I was torn as you were about Matilda of Flanders. The sources give glimpses of an independent, proud and intelligent woman, but I agree there isn't quite enough to give her the Rex Factor. But I have a feeling that if you met her in real life, she'd have it in spades. I've always felt she was a bit of a prelude to Eleanor of Aquitaine, her great her great granddaughter in law, and I suspect if we had more sources the parallels would be even clearer. Yeah. So I think it's I think we've had more strong feelings saying that I got it wrong than saying that I got it right thus far. Well that's all I wanted. <laughs> I think it's gonna be inter- in a way I feel almost slightly stronger. I was after I recorded it, I was feeling a little bit uncertain because of your argument about how you know even though it's a bit dull she kind of sets a standard and the first person deserves the credit even though that then becomes dull and normal yeah but then i sort of thought well actually maybe we sort of over that a little bit because like is it so dramatically advanced from elfrith or emma of normandy or even edith of wessex who didn't get it you know it is an advance but i don't know if it's such a huge step change and i wonder if in a way she's more impressive as the duchess of normandy who then happened to become queen, rather than specifically as Queen of England. Oh, I see, and we weren't actually, um, we weren't giving her points for those parts of her life. Yeah, and we sort of give her credit, I suppose, in terms of her, you know, her character, her independence and that sort of stuff. And, you know, her coronation is a step forward and that sort of thing, and it is very impressive that she's the regent of Normandy. Mm. But it's not quite the same as being the regent of England when the king's somewhere else so i just wonder whether we'll get better uh, a better version i suppose of the matilda yeah Mm. so i'll be interested to see what people think when we finish the norman consorts because i think they're actually a pretty decent bunch the four consorts yeah so i'm hoping that i'll be uh (laughs) i'll be reprieved once we've done a few more recordings but well i'm hoping not obviously i think she was robbed and you need to do penance and uh row me around on a river (laughs) <laughs> they, and but can I just say to the masses out there even if you agree with Graham <laughs> start the movement let's get him let's get him rowing a boat with me on the bow oh hang on who am I no I'm William the Conqueror you're waiting for the boat to come to you you're yeah I just port. want to spend a, an afternoon with G-Man mucky around on boats please let's make this happen just to see whether or not she really deserves it can you remind me what her name is I knew you'd do this. I was thinking about ten minutes ago when you said that. I thought I've got to remember her name. Um, uh, Edith of Wessex, Matilda of Flanders. Who was I getting confused with before? <laughs> Emma of Normandy. Oh well, who's Edith of Wessex? <laughs> oh, we've really got to get onto these console limericks. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, forget it. Uh, now we've got a couple of consort limericks. Mmm, fantastic. Eldgith of Edmund Ironside, imprisoned in times of great strife, when her husband had just lost his life, Eldgith needn't have feared, for Prince Edmund appeared to free her and make her his wife. <laughs> Lovely. I think it's um, from. Uh Louise um, Brimacombe. Louise. Yeah. They're so good. And then Emma of Normandy. Yeah. Queen Emma was scarily vexed when her stepson said he'd be king next. Some setbacks occurred, but she had the last word, for she wrote the definitive text. It's too... I mean, that's... Ah, oh, 
why do people bang on about this Shakespeare fellow when we got <laughs> no, this kind I, of talent? Uh, exactly. Did I and the thing is, you know, I'm not. I'm not joking. Messaging saying that uh, Rex Factor fans needed their own name, right? Because Beyonce has the Beehive, which I was telling you about, and you were a bit confused about it. Uh, so saying that we need our own thing, so we put that out as a My challenge. My dad wants to get some beehives. I don't know, maybe you're going to start getting into Beyonce. <laughs> So some suggestions. Yeah. Sarah Clark says the Crown Jewels. <laughs> Sarah Timmons, the Ethelings. Oh, I like that. Uh, Ashley Sutton, Knights of the Rex Table. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Boyle put a few forward. Re- uh, Factor fans. Sexy Rexes. Nice. I think Sexy Rexes is the name of a flower. Actually, I remember seeing that once. Ali's Allies. <laughs> <laughs> Graham the Grandmaster. Uh, Lily Marinovich or Marinovich said uh, Rexy's Midnight Runners. Very good. If you don't get that, uh, <laughs> search 80s bands. Jack Titchard. Oh, I, I know. Hello, Jack. I just cracked up at my fan term, Rex Files. Oh, that's very strong. Failing that, the subjects. No, I like that. I mean, I like Rex Files a lot. Because that could, that's, that's quite good, because obviously we've got x-files in there now he spelt mm. it properly as in files with an f but you know if you really wanted to really push that pun to the absolute boundary of what is acceptable oh yeah if it was a ph, PH. yeah files lovely that's strong on many levels isn't it mm. and uh, paul clayton suggested the uh Lucatics riffing on the holy face of oh, luca Lucatics, lovely lovely privy chamber so, if you would like to support the podcast, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever podcast service you use, and subscribe. Can we um, ask for a nice one, though? Yes, a nice review. If you don't particularly like us and don't want to support us, then... Uh, don't, just, just don't listen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're a happy clan. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a one-off donation via PayPal, and uh, David Piper has uh, chosen to do so. Oh, cheers, David. Or you can donate monthly to get bonus content, such as the Privy Chamber bonus podcast, special episode access, mugs and T-shirts, depending on the level at which you donate. Mm-hmm. And we've got some new... Oh. Privy- oh, yes. Graham, this is free for everyone, isn't it, this one? Yes. Right, check this out. You said T-shirts, so this is relevant. Okay. Now, in here, I'm just going rooting around in my little bag of tricks. Ali's rustling. I felt guilty about this for years, literally years, <laughs> because um, that's a receipt for John Lewis. Okay. Um, because no, not that. Because here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Right. I'll tell you when this was. Oh no, okay, so for six months. Twenty <laughs> seventh of the of June twenty nineteen. Yeah. Gene Donaldson. Mm-hmm. Rex Factor fan, who's um yeah, exactly. Um sent you and me two T shirts. Ah. But as you know, <laughs> I haven't been living here for some time and I've Indeed. only just moved back home. Yes. And so these may just uh, they were just where I'd left them but hadn't touched them for you know the best part of a year so I um, feel terrible that we haven't said thank you but look Graham we've both got a t-shirt look 
Oh, wow. Right, and on the back, X-Factor. Uh, and it's a picture on the front for those who can't see this. I'll post a picture that says Chivalric Annihilator. <laughs> I'm not sure that. if that was a quote that we said. Oh, no, I'll tell you what it could be. It could be Edward I because he, because with the Normans and all of that, there was this sort of chivalry whereby when you captured another a knight, i.e., a rich, important lord, yeah. you would just ransom them back so you didn't actually kill. Oh, they, Edward III pe- style. Well, so those sorts of people didn't get killed in battle. So when we were yeah. sort of the, like the reigns of Henry II, etc., you would just capture a fellow knight and then ransom him back or his armour back. And this sort of a code of conduct in the way that they did warfare. But when mm. Edward becomes king, or in fact when Edward I just goes to war, mm. gets rid of all of that and just kills everyone. Yeah, yeah, no, nonsense, nonsense. So Let's Edward I is the chivalric annihilator or the chivalry cool. annihilator. Quite right. No space for it. No mm. time. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Gene. I'm going to enjoy wearing that. Yeah, thank you so much. Unfortunately, it's going to be a while before I get to get to wear it because it's uh Yeah. Well, it's been a while already. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Know. Um. Well, I'll I'll sit in your armchair and you can wear my t-shirt. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we've got some new privy councillors to welcome to the fold. Mm. Pat, to 2016. Colleen Ryan, Amy Orchard, Joy Itapson, Brian Kasperzik, Rebecca Way, G. Meikenberger, Alexis Johnson, Lydia Fawcett, Mark Pyatt, and Dan John. Thank you to a man. That is delicious of you. You're stars. And uh, some messages uh, from our new Privy Councillors. One of these is from an old Privy Councillor, but about a new one. What? From Felix Barnes. If possible, please could you mention a hi to Dan John, who has become a member of the Privy Chamber after my insistence that he'd love the tea episode. Yeah, I agree. I love that tea episode. Also, it's his wedding next month, and we're all very excited for him. Uh, well, best of luck. That'd be nice. Don't get, don't get drunk. Don't get That's drunk. That's what I'd say on you. <laughs> I mean, I've never, I've never been to my own wedding, but... Um... <laughs> because you were drunk. <laughs> 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 no, uh, just, um, but I imagine, you know, you don't want to miss it, do you? Yeah. That's true. That's a very wise thought. <laughs> From someone who has zero experience. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you could miss your own wedding without being drunk, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't want to add to the chances. No, that's true. Uh, a message from Anna it says, Dear Ali and Graham, I've been listening for years as a poor student, but I'm so excited that I can finally contribute. As a proud... Oh. As a proud Dane, I am obviously disappointed that Sven Forkbeard wasn't in the English series race, and I second the person who suggested doing some of the medieval or Viking Scandinavian rulers. Yeah. Maybe a special episode around the contestors for the throne in 1066. Oh, that'd be good. Mm. Did we give him? Why didn't we give Sven the Rex Factor? What was our reason behind that? I think because he was only king for 40 days. Mm, yeah, that'll do it. Sif. I have been an avid listener since I discovered your podcast when I was eight months pregnant with my second child. Mm. Not only did you get me through the last stages of pregnancy where I felt like a stranded whale, but also ten hours of labour with my daughter. Good grief. I even wanted to name her after the Empress Matilda, but her dad vetoed that. Uh, was it, was, please tell me your her dad's name Stephen. <laughs> that would be lovely, wouldn't it? That would be good. 
Thank you for a great podcast that I continue to love listening to. Sif, who is named after a Viking goddess. How, how is she spelling that? S-I-F. Oh, that's nice. Hmm. Emily... So I was thinking... Uh, sorry, I was thinking S-I-T-H. Oh, it's a revenge yes. author. And T- yeah, yeah. Emily Brown. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for your podcast. My friend, Privy Councillor Natalie Crown, recommended it, and I just can't get enough. I've just finished the Scottish series. I absolutely love hearing about the Saxons, so I'm excited to get started on Series 3. Quality. Well, lovely to have you aboard. Amy Garvin. Hello, gents. I definitely feel the for- uh, I definitely feel the warm, fuzzy glow now that I've stepped into the chambers of the Privy Council. <laughs> you do wonderful work to make royal history exciting. I recommend your podcast to anyone who will listen. Also, Ali, I respect your decision to not give Edgar the Peaceable the Rex Factor. Well, now that is the sort of Privy Councillor we're after. That, yeah, she's got the the chops. That's perfect. Thank you for for. Oh, sorry, I just got a message. Uh, thank you very much for supporting us and me. But it sure has been entertaining to witness a resulting fire and brimstone from your Rex fans. I take it all back. <laughs> Keep casting. <laughs> and uh, Caroline, Empress of the known loot world, Duchess of North America, etc. <laughs> I regret that I do this so belatedly, as I have adored your podcast for years. However, as I take good Queen Bess for my role model, it is only right that I should hesitate and delay, not to say dither. In her words, I cannot balance in any weight of my judgment the value that I prize you at and shall condemn myself in that fault which I never yet committed, if I reward not such desserts, with my most loving adieu, etc., etc. That's lovely. And also because if she uh, mirrors herself on Queen Bess and says, mm. uh, dilly dathering, she did finally commit. And exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we have a PC. So the Privy Chamber, I thought it might be worth saying, is um, where after each of our main episodes, though not this one, we record a Privy Chamber bonus podcast, which is available to everybody who pays a monthly subscription to Rex Factor. So mm. whatever level you donate at, after each of our main podcasts reviewing a monarch or a consort, you get to listen to some more stuff. And what we do is more information that didn't make it into the podcast, either about the subject of the episode or issues relating to them that I thought just we wouldn't have space for it wasn't quite relevant enough to include uh ali often attempts to do a review of an audio book that's been voted for by privy councillors yeah and it's a bit looser isn't it it's a bit more like this a bit more looser a bit sort of more laid back a bit more chatty and uh we also have messages from privy councillors and get to do other fun stuff so the last one we did you got to do a rex factor pub quiz that i designed for a stag do i absolutely adored that another good one we did recently was when uh, we rated James Bonds. It was relevant for some reason, in order of um, wooiness. Wooiness. That's it. Mm. I can't remember the outcome, but yeah, we. So tangents are encouraged. Indeed. So um, to give people a little bit more to listen to and get a sense of what the Privy Chamber sounds like, we've got a clip from our most recent Privy Chamber episode, which was on our last consort Matilda of Flanders so in this clip we are going to be talking about some of her 1066 connections so her English lineage the ship that we mentioned the Mora that she commissioned for William the Conqueror and her connection or not to the biotapestry and also a bit more about her coronation 
Now, she gets a little bit involved in uh, the 1066 stuff as well. One thing that's quite interesting is actually the timing of their marriage and when William is named as heir by Edward the Confessor. Mm -hmm. Because they get married in 1050, and it's 1051 that William gets the call from Edward. Right. Now, we talked about how Edward, potentially a little bit worried about Flanders and Normandy alliance, and whether that could be a threat to England... And also, as he said, the Godwins go off to Flanders oh, okay. yeah. in their exile. Yeah, yeah, see, yeah. So maybe he thinks that he needs to separate Normandy from this level of threat. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is a little bit of a kick for him to think, well, maybe this is the guy that I can at least suggest I might recognise as my heir, even if I don't really mean it. Yeah, so they, they're not going to team up. Mm. and invade. So it might be that the marriage to Matilda actually helps William to get his slightly spurious claim. Huh. But it wouldn't have... I mean, it wasn't like she was daughter of the King of England or anything. It's quite... No, so it's not um, that he gets given the nod because um, of her in the sense of her lineage or anything like that, but more because the marriage means an alliance between Normandy and Flanders. Yeah. Flanders is looking a bit threatening because it's taking in the Godwins and mm. whatnot. So he thinks, right, let's get this guy close back yeah. on my side. Although they don't supply troops in the end. Indeed. Mm. Um, now, someone who does do a bit of military supplies was Matilda, of course, when she built him that ship, the Mora. Oh, yeah. It's a magnificent ship that became his flagship. Yeah. Uh, we're not quite sure why it's called the Mora. The romantic uh, interpretation of the name is that it's an anagram of Amor. Well, that's nice. Uh, could also be a nod to her heritage. So Flanders people apparently were known as Morini in ancient times. And what was it called? Mora. Oh, maybe it's a really clever pun on both. Mm. Well, that's rather nice. And there is quite a dramatic story about the Mora and the uh, the invasion. So William uses it as his flagship so thus Mm. he is on it Mm. and it's the one that's ahead of all the others it's taking the lead but it's also quite a bit faster than all the others because it's such a great ship and it's also quite bad weather they'd had to wait for quite a while because Mm. of storms and that when day breaks the next morning the Mora finds itself completely alone it can't see any other ships Uh so you're thinking have they all been destroyed in storms have they gone massively away what if you know the English ships find us yeah, all alone. So apparently William sat down, had breakfast with some wine, and then the other French ships turned up. The other Norman ships turned up. That is so French. And off they went to Pevensey. <laughs> the chapter was a chap called Erard Fitzstephen. And he remains captain until uh, until William dies in 1087. Oh, he keeps the boat. Keeps the boat. Mm. granted lands in Hampshire, Berkshire and Warwickshire as reward for his services and his son was Thomas Fitzstephen who is the captain of the ill-fated White no Ship. No way! Yeah. Oh wow! So it's almost like a hereditary Yeah, <laughs> like, Yeah, the royal captain or something mm. would have been anyway if this one had been Well, it yeah, ends mm. somewhat abruptly. So, suddenly. <laughs> now another interesting thing with Matilda in 1066 is that uh, the bio-tapestry was for a long time associated with her. Yeah. Uh, so it's still sometimes known in France as La Tapisserie de la Reine Mathilde. Mm. Um, and she was a commissioner of cultural work. She particularly liked embroideries and English embroideries. Uh, but the first recorded reference to the biotapestries in 1476 in an inventory doesn't mention her at all. Mm. And also, perhaps most tellingly, she's not actually in it. 
Oh, so if she'd commissioned it, it it would start with a here's Matilda who's asked us to write this, or well, or at the very least, she would have been waving the ship off or something. Mm. She's literally not portrayed at all, as are indeed very few women. But but why was it? Why is it known by that in France? Um, I, t- I t- just a legend. It seemed she seemed like the right sort of person because she was obviously became Queen of England. She's mm. the wife of William. She does commission cultural works. And who is it assumed to have commissioned it? It's now? mostly assumed to be William's half brother, Odo of Bio. Uh, why him? Just cause it full of anger and well, and and the Bio bit, obviously. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I can't really miss that. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, but also we discussed the Edith of Wessex episode that someone did speculate that she could have been. Which one's she? Uh, Edward the Confessor's wife. Would she have commissioned that? Well, because she came to an accord with the Norman. She remained powerful oh, and yes, wealthy. Oh, yes, and disappeared off into the sunset, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. indeed she is at least portrayed in it. And is her she? history of Edward the Confessor's reign does largely inspire the narrative for the biotapestry. Oh, so she's she, maybe she's getting her official story straight and on record mm. in fabric. Mm. Uh, of this is why I'm not a baddie, and you can rely yeah. on me. Mm. Like all, all those Nazis fleeing and getting their stories straight, yeah, shredding documents. Because I think initially everyone assumes that it's a Norman source, yeah, because the Normans won the battle. But it's actually, when you look at what's in it, and you think actually it's it's a bit more balanced. It's not actually all that negative about the Saxons in some ways. And not all of... that positive about the Normans yeah. in that there was, the battle is ebbs and flows mm. and not a crushing defeat. Mm. Hmm. But it wasn't Matilda. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Her coronation was quite notable. Um, big advance for queenship because we mentioned various things that were sort of first, like she was properly had a crown there by god crowned and all this sort of stuff uh but there are a couple of other a couple of other notable innovations at her coronation one of which was the champion so everyone sits down to the banquet and then Mm. a knight rides into the hall and declares if any person denies that our most gracious sovereign lord william and his spouse matilda are king and queen of england he is a false-hearted traitor and a liar and here, I, as champion, do challenge him to single combat. So this is something that's done at all coronations until the reign of William the Fourth. No. So the last time it happens is for the coronation of George the Fourth. Huh. And it starts here in 1068. What? What? George the Fourth? He's eighteen something. Eighteen. Eighteen twenty. His uh, coronation. Wow. I'd love to see all the all the images of all the champions, how they would have changed. Because in my mind, when you were telling me that, <laughs> I was imagining a modern one would be like a, a, a para or something like that. Um, a paratrooper, for those. Uh, yeah. um, but they would have the look would have changed so much. Even in mm. 1820, would it have been a red coat or a, or close to that I'm not, era? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think probably it would, that one probably survive somewhere, I imagine. Yeah, the George one. I don't imagine the 1068 one does, but it would have been, 1068 would have been a, a you know, nose guarded helmet. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, the look of them would have changed all the way through. Amazing. Mm. Um, and it's also quite notable. And we'll see with another one. It's the same. Um, no, no, no. Um, Robert de Marmion is the first such champion, one of William's entourage, and it was a hereditary office. So until. 
In the 14th century, it was in the Marmion family, and then it passes to the Dimmocks. Mm. Um, And they continued, technically, until the present day, so even in 1953. Now, it was with William's force that they stopped getting to do the champion bit, but they were still recognised as sort of having a role. So I think for Elizabeth's coronation, um, they got to, like, hold the... Union Jack or something, or the or standard or something like that. They got given the huh. role. It was sort of recognised that they had. That's got to be role. one of the longest running celebrity, a celebrity, hereditary offices. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of one that would be, well, Archbishop maybe, but hmm. not hereditary actually. King, I suppose. King's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, was it? Was there ever a reply to this challenge? And the idea that is that it had a fight and it I, was. I'm pretty sure not. Because it would have been treason, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, if it's hereditary, you could get someone... It's a shame. You, you, someone should have tested it just to see. Like, would this champion actually fight or would the soldiers just arrest you? And Yeah, and the tradition is that the person that challenges it gets a pardon or whatever and it's just a big show. Mm. Um, and the champion always wins. Uh, but if it's hereditary, you could end up with someone quite scrawny and not at all threatening like me <laughs> giving that... Big yeah. old boast at the start, and it all looking rather. And Tyson Fury stands up and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, another tradition mm. uh, was Dillagroot. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so the royal cook, a chap called Tezalan, prepared this dish, Dillagroot, probably a white potage or pottage or soup. Mm. So it's made with capons, almond milk, sugars, and spices. That sounds quite nice. Well, it went down so well that he was granted the manor of Addington in Surrey, and it was decreed that all coronations henceforth would have their soup prepared. And does they still do that? The last time is again George the Fourth. Why did they all stop? It was because William the Fourth, remember, was not into all the pomp and ceremony at all, and didn't really even want a coronation. So he basically just goes for the absolute minimum of fuss. That he is he pineapple head? With. That's pineapple head. So he does minimum of fuss he can possibly get away with. And he just wants to stay alive to see Victoria on the throne. <laughs> Indeed. Well, his brothers die. And then I guess when they get to Victoria, they sort of decide, shall we bring all of these things back? And they thought, nah. Oh, that's such a shame. It is a shame. That's such a shame. Like, but also quite in keeping that George the Fourth is the last one that goes for all of this sort of big bombast and pomp and ceremony. I'm not a fan of it, personally, right? Mm. But... If you're gonna do it, if you're gonna do, do it. it, yeah, exactly. Um, and it does. It's like it seems to me um, these these weird ceremonies that are just traditions. It's like a game of um, uh, you know, like if you're a wet Wednesday and a power cut, yeah. you've got a, a got a tennis ball. We would end up throwing it to each other <laughs> and trying to keep doing it for as long mm. as possible. You don't want to be the person that drops it. Yeah. Even if you hate the game, you've started. You've started, yeah. So got, you can never finish. Yeah, yeah. It's got to keep going. Because you can imagine that, like, if it had survived, it would have become incredibly formalised. You can imagine just like all everyone being gr- given this soup, and then the queen has one tiny sip, and then all the soup's taken away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it's all they all have specific pottage spoons yeah. <laughs> that uh, are only placed upon your um, left water cup um, and actually it just turned out that it was a cook who was a dab hand at throwing sugar and spice together yeah. <laughs> so another thing that we do are special episodes 
So these are two-hour uh, sort of bonus podcasts on uh, a particular subject which are chosen by uh, the Privy Councillors donating at the top donation level, or they were until we got oversubscribed and had to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a bit of a backlog. But so this doesn't have to be about um, something related to the podcast. We've had a whole bevy of different subjects. So we had the Battle of Waterloo, William Marshall, Bess of Hardwick. T. Mm. The Maoris. Maoris, yeah. Georgiana, Duchess of uh, Devonshire. Oh, yeah. And the other one who was like an early Georgiana, Duchess of Devonshire. Or Best later of one. Best of Hardwick, yeah. Empress Matilda. Lots and lots of them. Lots and lots of them that we've done. They are available to all Privy Councillors who donate $5 a month or more as of March mm. 2020. And also available to buy individually for $2 on our website. Yes. And uh, again, just giving people a little bit more li- to listen to, we thought we'd give you a clip from our most recent special episode, which was about Chateau Gaillard. I love this one. So this was Richard the Lionheart's great castle in Normandy, which was very ahead of its time. It's an incredibly spectacular location, a very impressive castle. Uh, but this particular clip is in relation to the siege of Chateau Gaillard, where Philip Augustus of France is besieging the castle, which is now under the ownership of Richard's brother, King John. So at this point, Philip is preparing his uh, siege project, but King John and the glorious William the Marshal, himself a subject of a special episode, have got a very special plan to rout the French attackers before the siege can even begin. So by September of 1203, Philip controls the land in the Bow of the Seine. He's dominant elsewhere in the valley. Chateau Gaillard itself is now isolated and... Is John at the chateau? John is not at the chateau. He is elsewhere in Normandy. Sort of thank God, actually, because <laughs> he, re- he could have messed that up as well. Don't worry, everyone. <laughs> Best man on the case here. <laughs> Open the gates, what? <laughs> it's the last thing they'll be <laughs> expecting. <laughs> Uh, so, Philip is now in a position to besiege Chateau Gaillard, yeah. crucially without fear of being attacked from other castles, mm. because Philip has taken all of the other castles, there's mm. no imminent relief that he has to worry about. So his strategy is first to capture all of the surrounding area, because mm-hmm. as we said, it's not just a castle, you've got the island fortress, the river defences, the town. He's going to capture all of that, and then once that's done, besiege the castle. Starve them out. Mm. Mm. Uh, now, the Angevin defenders have destroyed the bridge linking the island to the bank, which mm-hmm. is going to make it harder for Philip to get to it, of course, mm-hmm. but they have come prepared. Philip and the French build an elaborate pontoon bridge of boats, mm. and impressively, they then defend that by towers mounted on boats. Wow. So they've got this sort of floating bridge and fortifications. So big boats. They're not like rowing boats that people are hopping across <laughs> oh, one yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Um, this goes across all the way to the opposite, opposite shores. That allows easy access for the French, who make mm. their camp on the opposite side, mm. uh, to the castle. But it also further isolates the garrison on the island. So why are they on the wrong side anyway? Why didn't they just co- arrive on the correct side of the river? Uh, well, you've got the town and all the yeah. other sort of stuff. So what they're now able to do is to cross to either side at will uh, okay. without having to make their way through. Yeah. Uh, all of these defences. Now, mm. the other book. Uh, this one. Uh, no, this right, one. This one. Right, John. Page eight. We've got a little. Uh, oh, I love a family tree, <laughs> but that's not what we're after today. These books will always go to the thick white pages right in the middle. <laughs> Just look at the pictures. Rochester, of course, there. Right. Sorry, right, eight. This eight. is uh, asking for trouble. Nice, Ooh. simple little. Uh, 
Anderley. So that that's another castle. That's the town, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the town. Yeah. Which I said that's the two uh, the gamble on the yeah. streams that he's used to create a moat. Yeah. That's the yeah the Brit- fortress palace. Fortress. Yeah. And then, but what's going on here? Um, oh, I don't know about that. Historic one here. Another yeah, another castle. Mm. <laughs> cool. So the island now, the, both of these bits of bridges have been destroyed. Mm. And Philip's now got his own, where would it be? Is it up the, there? Yeah, uh, French pontoon. So, yeah, so he can go on either side. Okay. All right, so now he's got to take this. Well, yes, or this or probably that. is the main bit because there's a garrison inside right. of it. Okay. But John is not completely useless. He's not going to abandon Chateau Guard without a fight. Hmm. Along with a certain William Marshall, mm. oh, great, of course, yeah. greatest knight of the age, and himself, of course, the subject of a Rex Factor special episode, John and William devise a very ambitious plan to relieve the Angevin forces and see off the French. Mm. William Marshall will lead a joint land and naval attack. So the land army will clear the soldiers on the bank, yeah. while the ships smash through the French pontoon bridge, isolating the rest of the French army, and allowing them to resupply the garrison, yeah, which is currently cut off from both sides. I reckon William the Marshal Marshal came up with that plan, hmm. <laughs> rather than John. Yeah. So, the Marshal leads the land army, which surprises and easily routes the remaining French forces on the other side. Mm-hmm. So, not where the main lot are camped, but mm-hmm. castle side. Uh, over 200 are killed of the French, and the rest break the pontoon bridge under the strain of the large numbers fleeing across it. Oh, that's clever. To get to the French garrison, indeed. Um, so that makes it even easier, of course, when the ships arrive to just yeah. smash through whatever's left and yeah. win Job the day. Done. Yeah. Unfortunately, the navy isn't quite as successful. Oh. The French position at Le Vaudreuil, which they taken earlier, further up the Seine, mm. means it's harder to navigate the river in daylight. Right. Consequently, all of this has to take place at night. Right. So the lack of light combined with stronger-than-expected currents mm. means it takes the Navy a lot longer to arrive than expected, meaning that they're late. Mm. So the plan is that the la- the uh, Army and the Navy arrive at basically the same time. Yeah. Element um, of surprise, smash through, done. shock and awe. Instead, William the Marshal arrives, does his bit, mm. and then he's sort of sat around wondering where all the ships have gone. Mm. They're going against the current, then. Mm. They're going to have a hard time smashing into stuff, aren't they? Now, unfortunately, therefore, William is now going to face the French army. William the Marshal Marshal. William the Marshal Marshal. And confusingly, he's going to face the French army led by another William. Oh, good. William Debar, who's a a veteran in the William Marshal mould, a very experienced and capable soldier. He quickly arranges for repairs to the bridge once everyone comes running over and he sees what's going on. So this is because um, William, our William, has... Mm. The uh, Marshal. The Marshal has uh, not that, you know, I'm completely neutral and study history. Yes, 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 yeah. But the goody um, is on the side and he's only expecting to defeat a smaller force. Mm. And now he's got the whole lot to face. Well, yeah. So initially he's not going to have to face a whole lot because the... um, Navy. The pontoon has been um, broken with Mm. everybody running across it. Yeah. But William de Bar, the baddie, (laughs) the French one... um, quickly arranges repairs to the bridge mm. and then once those are, are complete and the bridge has been repaired he leads the French army across to attack the Marshal mm. now this is the whole of the French force mm. so now William the Marshal is massively outnumbered did we do this in his episode? 
Uh, a little bit. Mm. It's not something that he chose to feature in his biography. Oh, okay. Mm. Oh, dear. Um, completely outnumbered, taken by surprise, and, of course, easily routed. Thankfully, mm. William the Marshal lives and escapes to see another day. Right. Okay. But many do not. But the fleet is on its way. Yeah. And sure enough, it does finally get there, having lost both the element of surprise and, indeed, the supporting army. Oh, gosh. Going to get destroyed, right? Indeed. So the French obviously now see them coming a mile off. Yeah. And are just lining the river, firing arrows. It's wait. Yeah. It's at ships. Two ships are sunk, two are captured, and the rest uh, rather ignominiously retreat. Mm. Good. Failure of uh, the relief operation means that the island fortress, and indeed the castle itself, will mm. not be relieved and will not be resupplied, and the attack can continue. Uh, so as I said, um, if you donate at the $5 a month level, you get to access all of our special episodes automatically, but alternatively you can uh, buy individual ones if you want to pick and choose. Mm. So that's uh, all that we've got for you today. Um, hopefully... Ali has uh, recorded his bit of audio and I've recorded my bit of audio and we'll be able to put it together. Um, you've got a backup there, haven't you? I do have a backup. But I see my bar is still scrolling along and is still red. That's, so that's a good, good. thing. Mm. Um, so next time we will be back with normal service reviewing Matilda of Scotland, the consort of Henry I. But it's likely to be over the internet again but it will be over the internet again so that I, d I here's a is this a grim prediction but what consort will we get to or what where will we be when we're able to record in person again in terms of like period in history let's say well what's the thing that um that that could uh throw a spanner in the works there is that you will you will have more time to research them well you say this but of course i can work from home for my job oh bad luck so to be honest I've got slightly less time because I'm now kind of having to come down for lunch earlier and up later to deal with a certain person who's screaming daddy at the top of his voice for yeah, about an I hour I see and, and no I... research books available well I've got the research books uh, available because I'm up in my study but no but I mean new ones for new monarchs yeah so I've got um, so we're alright for the Norman ones um and we're all right for... I think I've got one about Eleanor, and I've got one about the one after Eleanor. Have you ever heard of Wikipedia, though? Well, I suppose I could check it out online, but um, so yeah. I think I'm going to do an order of books tomorrow and hope that that will see me. Yeah. <laughs> Why pull the packages down, won't you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, so when where do you think we'll be in history? Assuming that I'm able to get my books, where are we going to get up to by the time we're able to see each other again? <laughs> Well, let's say we do one every two weeks. So we stick to the schedule. Mm. And a preview chamber in between those. Bit of a gap between our mini-series, so before a special episode. and What's what's eight consorts' time? Six, seven consorts' time? Uh, so Matilda of Scotland, Adelisa of Levan, Matilda of Boulogne, Eleanor of Aquitaine, uh, Berengaria of Navarre, Isabella of Angoulême, Ellen of Provence. I mean, that is some Rex knowledge right there, fans, isn't it? <laughs> Listen to that. From a standing start, give him a give him a time in history, and then say go forward seven consorts. That is <laughs> that is a beautiful thing. 
So that's uh, Henry the Third's consort. Yeah, all right. Hmm. That's yeah. That's that's, that's, that's entirely possible. Hmm. So we'll be back next time with Matilda of Scotland, and um, I hope everyone is well and takes care. Stay safe, Rex fans. Um, now all that needs to happen is I not get a virus on this computer and wipe this. Yes, <laughs> you can get your own virus, but not not a computer one. Yeah, I say virus. It might the problem might exist in my fingertips here. So <laughs> I'm going to leave now with and have Graham talk me through how to export this yeah you are the virus <laughs> that is that's basically what the government is saying isn't it you are the virus stay yeah. inside you are the problem well we got quite a long way without saying the word virus so yeah. i think we did well hmm. okay see you next time Cheerio. Oh, I've gone. Are you there? Hello? Oh, no, I've got Skype's quit, of course. I'm just, spe- I'm just speaking to myself. <laughs> oh, gee, man, I'm going to carry on recording this. It's absolute chaos. Um, I don't know how to get Skype. Skype? Hello? Where are you? Okay, I'm going to search Skype, yeah. That's what I want. Launch Skype. Rex Factor. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it.